I'm beating and bruised, mate. Welcome back to another episode of the Harlequins Podcast. This is episode 10. Oh, God, it hurts. God, it hurts. Oh, we're sitting here on a Sunday night. My name's Michael. I'm sat with my cousin, Will. We are minutes after watching our boys lose at the hands of table-topping Tigers. We'll talk more about that later on. Mate, how are you? Busy week. How's, how's things? Yeah, I'm really good. I'm I'm absolutely exhausted, mentally exhausted, so fatigued after watching that contest. It was a it was a bruiser, wasn't it? It was a different quins, but yeah, it's it's taken it out of me. Pretty well rested, I have to say. I've got plenty of holiday left to use before the end of the year. It's that classic case of everybody sitting on their holiday at work and then cashing it in at December because they haven't found a good time to use it previously. So got a few days off next week, a few days off the week after. So hopefully a nice leisurely end to the year but I'm, I'm pretty good what about yourself uh, yeah I'm getting to that sort of stage of the year now so I've got one more week left of school and then I'm going to be sleeping for days I'm absolutely exhausted this all Christmas is for isn't it yeah absolutely this this bit of terms killed me obviously with all the training and stuff I'm trying to do at the minute I'm cramming about 12 weeks worth of work into about the space of well, three because yeah, I've been a little bit flat out, out haven't you? I have been flat out yeah it's been busy um Hockey yesterday, that was tough. First first L of the year. Oh, no. Got beat. No got clean beat. sheet again. No, I got beat 2-1. Oh, two conceded this time. I know, I know. It was tough, actually. It was, they were a good side and we, we were a good side and we just didn't take enough chances. They were a little bit more clinical than we were. We were but it was um, it was physical. I was, I was, do you know what? I haven't actually played a game this year because we've been doing really well where I've woken up and not felt knackered. But yesterday was tough and then came straight home, straight back on the laptop, getting lots more work done and then sort of woke up this morning, a bit more work and then sort of settled in on the TV to go and watch the boys play. But Sounds yeah. like you could have really done with a win today. I could have done. I needed it. I needed mm. it after the week. Yeah. And I've we got... nearly got it. We did <sighs> nearly get one as well. It was so frustrating the way to lose it at the end there as well. We'll obviously go into it and, and break it down in a little bit more detail shortly. But oh, yeah. it's so excruciating walking away from a game where you, you have moments where you could have won it. I can see Pumba's chubby Midlands back row face sitting there laughing his head <laughs> off now that we're... Uh, For reference, Pumba is uh, the name of, of Michael Cooper who does the... The Rolling Wall podcast, the Leicester Tigers fan podcast, and we spoke to him last week, had a great catch-up with him previewing the game, and they seemed confident, we were confident, and uh, they pipped us on this occasion. So, interested to get their feedback at some point as well, actually. I wonder what their take on it was. I'm sure we'll get some, um, some social media joust going there and back, but yeah, it was tough. I mean, what do you want to do, mate? Should we, should we dive straight in? Let's dive straight in. Right, let's, let's start at the selection table. Pretty okay. happy, straight off the bat. Yeah, I actually put a post out in the, the Harlequins fan Facebook group predicting my team and I got it exactly right bar Wilco Lowe, who I thought might be yeah. back, but he wasn't. And I'll tell you what, we didn't really miss him because Will Collier no, was didn't. monumental, wasn't he? Yeah, was. Up against Ellis Genge in the scrum, he's, I think he's still in Will Collier's pocket. So <laughs> uh, he was exceptional. I thought the set piece, well, I'll uh, refine that sentence to the scrum. One, one part of the set piece, yeah. <laughs> I thought the scrum was really, really strong and I think we surprised everybody not just Tigers fans but we really fronted up all over the park and uh, we looked like one of those physical sides like a Sale a Saracens or a Tigers and we looked like we were right at home and I think the scrum epitomised that I thought Will Collier was exceptional yeah it was good um, I, I think I'm pretty happy with the selection as well much like yourself I mean that back line was probably as good as we could have hoped for obviously Hugh Jones at 13 no Northmore no March and good to see that back three combination um, as well oh, Lewis Lewis, team, Lewis yeah, that it back would be three, we're a different team. We're, we're a huge threat all over the park. 
all three of them are brilliant today. And then obviously, you know, having Domers and Marcus back in is, you know, is, is what it is. But yeah, it was it was good good at good at the selection table. The six two split was obviously something different for us, not something we've done for a long time. Um, yeah. I'd love but, to talk you know, about the bench a little bit. Different yeah, from us, and I quite liked it, but we don't trust our bench, do we? There's a lot of players playing 80 minutes at the moment, particularly in the front row. Joe Marler gets 80 every week now because we've got no faith in, in Santi Garcia Botta. Yeah. Jack Musk hasn't played a minute, although he's been named on the bench the last two weeks as well. I think he's a great player, but again, maybe they don't think he's ready for the likes of, of Tigers away. So Jack yeah. Walker's getting 80 minutes most weeks, and I just think if he gets a knock, we're, we're looking a little bit light in that department, particularly with Sam Riley and, and Joe Gray out at the moment as well. So lots of players on the bench didn't necessarily take to the field. Did Dino and Steph get a full 80 as well? Did uh, Tizard just, come on? I'm just looking at it as well. Hugh Tizard hasn't come on the pitch. Tommy no. Lorde didn't come on the pitch. No, he didn't, did he? Um, Lewis Yaltima didn't come on the pitch. So the only three that have come off, are, uh, well, Beard, Taulani and Kerrid have come on. So, yeah, yeah Liner, um Cheers. I'm not saying we should have brought them on, by the way, because I think it's very apparent for the fan as well to be able to see that we've got a brilliant starting 15 and we perhaps don't really have the depth. And when I say the depth, I don't necessarily mean the players in that position. I mean, like, the quality depth. They're all good players and they'll come on, they'll be solid. But when you're playing against a team like the Tigers, you want quality replacing quality. When you're in the last 10, 15 minutes trying to seek three points to win a game... You want to bring somebody on that's going to get you those three points, not somebody that's going to come on and do a job. So I think that's where we we lack a little bit potentially. Um, and it's it's very apparent that the coaches have a similar mindset to that, given that they're not putting them on the pitch. I think part of that obviously is, is due to the injuries as well. I mean, you look at the, those that, that play the Felati or those that, you know, play big minutes. If Matt Simons is is fit and firing, he probably starts ahead of one of Steph or, or Dino. One yeah. of them then comes off the bench. If you look at, I'm just throwing some names out here. If you look at Northmore or, or Marchant, both fit. Hugh Jones probably goes to the bench. He's yeah. a very acquitted player. He probably comes on the pitch. True. Um, yeah. so, uh, Riley Riley's the same. You know, Wack has been yeah. playing brilliantly, really, really well. Sam Riley was getting some good minutes off the bench at the start of the year. He was, wasn't maybe he? Just the, maybe just the, ex- the the exposure of Muskie at the start of the year, or lack of exposure, I should say, means that in those games against someone like Leicester, you just can't afford to almost bring them on because you just think we're losing something. I'll maybe that's what, part of it. The one man that would have been brilliant to bring on, particularly for that last line out of the game, Joe Gray. Mm-hmm. For an away trip to Tigers where you need to call all your experience, you've got a double-winning premiership hooker. Out on the out on the shelf at the minute, injured. But if we had him on the bench to come on and see yeah. out a game, or at least try and shore up that line out to get us a few points and and push us in the lead, then he would have been a perfect man to do that job. Hundred percent. Anyway, let's um, let's talk about the game. Um, first thing for you, talk to me about penalties. Oh, I was really pleased to see us take three right from okay. the start as well. I thought it was good. I think we knew it was going to be a test match. That's the best way to describe it. It was a test match feel to this club game where you had the top of the table versus the champions. You've got to take your points when they're on offer. We had an established kicker in our side in Marcus and and we knew opportunities to score seven were going to be few and far between. You've got to take them when they come on offer, but they didn't come on offer too often. Um, so when you get your, your penalties, you've got to convert them. And, and we did. So it kept us in touch. And it was one of those games where you're away at Tigers, you're probably expecting to be beaten up a little bit, perhaps chasing the game as you get into the latter stages of the contest. As long as we were in touch within the last 10 minutes, I, I always would have fancied us to, to do a bit of a smash and grab and win, which is how you kind of beat those teams. So to stay in touch and chip away, they take three, we take three. 
that's fine. We'll we'll do that right up until the 70th minute and then we'll have a go at you and, and see if we can pinch it at the death, which we very nearly did. Yeah, I think I agree with you. And I actually had a, uh, my mate text me when Marcus lined up for that first penalty. He was like, we're taking three? What? But, I mean, we've spoken about it at length, this sort of philosophy of it. You don't take that many points off Leicester in those sort of games. And you're, you're so right. It was such a test match. Proper, yeah. proper test match. And I think Ali Eakin said it on commentary. I genuinely didn't believe this. Last year, we didn't play a game in the wet. Did you hear that? I heard that. I, Is that? I, that that's can't mental. be true. First game of the season, we lost to Exeter. Surely that was... Like Class was, was red, wet? Maybe. I don't what? know. But I think maybe he was referring to we haven't won one in the wet. I'm not sure. But... Yeah, I'm trying to wrap my brain. I can't really think of too many opportunities like that or too many games how many, that happened. How many millimetres of rainfall do you need to be a game before its classes <laughs> in the wet? Like, what is it? Like a, a thick fog and somebody it spills a pint on the touchline. It's rain for it to qualify. Yeah. I, I, I was like, that can't be true. Um, but then obviously when the rain did start pouring in that second half, you know, it became a real sort of physical contest. And, and taking high three... ball contest as well. We oh. just didn't compete in some of them. And some no. of them where it was where there was no contest because it was right down our throat. We were couldn't get set underneath it. George Ford's the master of it, the dropping those bombs bomb. left, right and centre, the wind getting control of it. And, and as a, a player trying to keep your eye on it and follow it and get underneath it, knowing that you've got Jasper Visa lining you up is probably going to be quite tough. But Caden Murley did a good job of that, actually, at one point. He was, he was exceptional. He, he, yeah, he's, he's top class, isn't he? And he actually got some praise from Austin Healy, which... It's incredibly yeah. rare for a Quinns player to get. So he's obviously doing something right. But yeah, yeah, again, I thought his feet were brilliant to get round the outside and, and get down the flank. Defended solidly, made the right decisions as he always does. And I thought he was a really important player for us. I think he actually made the most metres of any Quinns player, which probably means yeah. of any player in the game as well. One more thing. And you, um, on the sort of, a, let's talk about this back three lads for a minute. The reintroduction of Lewis Liner. We'll talk about the try in a minute, which was yeah. in itself in itself scintillating. Yeah. Shades of Dan Carter, two thousand and five lines down that little <laughs> yeah, it, was, that? it was, yeah. Um, we'll talk about it later on. But you text me during the game. We were t- we were texting sort of as we always do when, when we're not going. Earlier on, and we know about the aerial ability of Freddie Stewart. That was proven through the autumn series. Marcus Smith puts the ball into the sort of back left corner of the pitch, oh, yeah. going going away from Freddie Stewart, and it lands in George Ford's, George Ford's hand. And you text me, you said, "If I'm if I'm Lewis Liner, I'm slowing down by half a yard. I'm not going to compete in the air when the ball lands in Ford's hands. I'm going to absolutely bury him." Oh, and I 100%. think I think he had that chance. But kill him, break him in <laughs> half. Get, get him, get him, lads. Um, yeah, absolutely. I think you're away at Tigers. The the crowd are up. You've got the master that is George Ford, who would go on to be man of the match. You've got an opportunity, which was absolutely brilliant, just to muller him. Um, and he he went and tried to compete for it and, and missed it. I don't think that was the wrong decision. I just think there was a different decision that could have been made, which which may have impacted the game a little bit further down the line if he left one on Forbes, Ford's ribs, um, which is fully entitled to do. Had great speed running onto it. He could have completely cleaned him out. And I think if I'm, the, if I'm in that position as Lewis Liner early on against Ford, opportunity to impact the game you're you've got to bury him there yeah no I agree it was there was a lot made of that Nadolo liner battle mm. which actually you know Nadolo nothing came, came very well really. nothing really came of it um which actually fills me with a bit of confidence because you know we never know so much we love Lewis but mm. yeah I reckon you're right he could have absolutely laid one on him in that first couple of minutes and you know I wonder how the game would have panned out if he'd done that put the put their talisman in his 
well in the dirt but mm. you know i suppose we'll never know um next thing i'm, I'm just trying I'm, you know usually when we talk about games i'm really bad at doing recalls of them because i'm either at the game and i don't sort of struggle to watch it because you get wrapped up in the emotion or we record a couple of days later but i'm actually going quite chronologically now because i've got a really good view of it should we talk about the cards yeah i've got a little bit of a different take on it and i saw it on twitter as well so i'm glad i'm not the only one but we probably lost smith for about 12 13 minutes just the way yeah. that it panned out and he came back on at the same time as jasper visa so actually we didn't really benefit at all from their yellow card because the whole time we were a man down as well so bit of an odd one i saw some of these calling for rule changes i don't think there's anything you can change there it's just a bit of bad luck and we could have put the ball off the park and got him back on and used him for two minutes if we wanted but it would have been a bit of an odd thing to do i don't think i've ever seen a team do that but it, it was interesting how they both came back on at the same time just because of how it panned out with no break in play which is a bit frustrating but yeah. marcus is one yeah i think it was a yellow card it was a bit silly yeah. i can see what he's trying to do sort of hit his arm a little bit dislodge the ball disrupt the play which would have been quite smart, but he was already on the floor. So the fact that he was already on the floor was illegal anyway. So it was just a bit of rush of blood to the head, I think. And he's probably not in that position too often. So um, probably less controlled than he would be elsewhere on the pitch. And then their one was just stupid. I think he's a walking yellow card, isn't he, Jasper Visa? I was sat next to my dad and he said, I bet you anything he'll get a yellow in this game. And lo and behold, he goes and throws his body at Dino Lamb's shins without putting any arms around him. So yeah, definite yellow. Probably both of them were definite yellows and... It didn't really impact the game too much, did it? No, not really. Well, not until they score from that bit of kick tennis where we were probably well down our best kicker and mm. losing it, losing the losing the tennis battle, and then they go and score. But no, it, it it didn't really. Obviously, somebody made the comment. You know, we won a Premiership final with Marcus in the bin for ten. So you know, <laughs> hopefully, hopefully we can um, we can you know manufacture a way of staying in the game, and and we did. Um, and then, yeah, they they rang the changes, didn't they? I mean, bringing on, I mean, Ben Young's. I know they said it on commentary, so it sounds like we're just sort of echoing that. But he was excellent, um, annoyingly, yeah. because you know, just well, because he was playing against us. But he was brilliant. But then when that game gets really, really, you know, tight and tricky, they bring on someone like Richard Wigglesworth, who can just manipulate the game at his will. And it's probably something we didn't quite do enough of. So I know we bought on um, Beard and we bought on Taulani, but you know. <laughs> just doesn't quite have that impact that bringing on someone like Wigglesworth does where you can just control a really, really tight game and play everything in your own, well, in the areas that you want to play and in your own, on your own on your own pace and on your own tempo. And we didn't quite have that and they did. Exactly, yeah. And you've got to feel for poor old Jack Van Poorfleet who's supposed to be competing with Rafi Quirt to be in yeah. his next nine. He's not even getting in the match day 23. So I do think it's so important and, and such a big threat that Leicester have is how much depth and experience they've got in their halfbacks, you think about the likes of Youngs and Ford as a starting pairing, and then you've got Freddie Burns and, and Richard Wigglesworth at your disposal as well. So in terms of the experience they've got at halfback, it's unrivaled. So I think that, not necessarily the difference today, but it would have been quite nice if we had someone of that ilk to bring on for Danny at a certain point. I don't think we'd ever take Marcus Smith off the pitch, but just knowing you've got that solidarity on the bench from a... Um, an established 10 to potentially come on, even if it's in a different position at 12 or if it's at 15. Um, having said that, I don't think I'd take off Andre or Tyrone either. But for them, as a as a tool to exploit, they've got fantastic depth there. And if the game is being played in different ways, they'll know that they've got the players to come on and, and play a different style. Yeah. No, it, it's bottom, mate. I mean... Oh, Scott, Scott Steele would have been great today. Yeah. 
last yeah. 10, I probably would have been about 10 minutes. Last 10 minutes, I think it would have been great for him to come on and inject something into it. And I imagine that if he's on the bench, he probably does come on at that 70-minute mark, whereas someone like Lewis Yautama, who hasn't played a yeah, premiership game or hasn't exactly. had the exposure at that level against a top team like Leicester, Scott Steele's an international. He's been in the premiership 100%. for years. They probably do bring him on in 10 minutes. And, you know, we, we love watching Scott play. He's a he's an, he's a ninth forward. He loves burying his head in the ball. You know, he's quick. He thinks of his feet. He's a left-foot kicking option as well. That gives a different dimension to it, all those little things. So maybe we do miss... Well, we definitely did miss his his influence on the game when we could have had the chance to bring him on here hadn't he been fit. Exactly that. Exactly that. You've, you've nailed it there. He's the ninth forward. He's he's very, very physical. He's great over the ball with the turnover. Um, one thing I've noticed with Danny, and I'm not going to begrudge him for it, but as he's sort of getting on in his career, he does like to shirk a tackle every now and then or avoid yeah. contact where he can. So to have someone the polar opposite to him and Scott still come on and, and front up for a physical battle, which is quite rare for a nine, would have been quite handy today. Um, mm. So, yeah, but we missed him. Hopefully we'll get him back for Castro. Um, if not, he'll definitely be back for big game, won't he? So, mm. fingers crossed on that one. But, yeah. Should we, um, should we talk a little bit about the set piece? I know that we talk a lot of, on this podcast and as Quinn's fans about our attacking exploits, but none of those are, are, are manageable without the you know, strength of the set piece over the last year or so. Scrum time was, I mean, dominant. brilliant. Really oh. dominant. And I, I know there's loads. I actually listened to an episode of um, the Joe Marler podcast during the week, and it was one where him and him and Dan Cohen are talking about some of the stuff with England. And they're, they're obviously very good mates. And I think someone actually tweeted or I saw written somewhere or somewhere, I, I don't know where, but Joe Marler said that Coley's the guy that he least enjoys scrummaging against yeah. in the league. And it didn't look like that today. I mean, with obviously Collie on the other side against, you know, two of England's you know, front rowers over the last however many years, Ellis Genders as captain and England's sort of incumbent number one and Dan Cole, 200 premiership games today. And we were really, really dominant up front at scrum time. Yeah, we were so competitive, weren't we? I thought we were brilliant at scrum time. I think Joe and Dan kind of neutralised each other and then the real battle was between Genge and Collier and Collier had him rolled up and put in his pocket. I think he folded him up most most opportunities got. So, yeah, I thought the scrum was really, really strong. Um, it's frustrating because it's, it was interesting last week talking to the Rolling Wall podcast and how they were saying that they think Quinn's have got the most underrated pack in the league and we're actually incredibly strong. We're actually one of the strongest and people don't take note of that because of the way we play and our backs get all the plaudits. But we definitely showed that today. I think in the scrum, we were solid. We, we fronted up and we, we pushed back one of the most physical forward packs in the league on multiple occasions. And then I guess the line out is what let us down really, wasn't it? it it's ultimately what yeah. ended the game for a mistake. We were our own worst enemy. Sometimes when we get a penalty now, I'm a little bit worried about going for the corner because we always seem to lose the line out from a penalty that we've just won. We're better yeah. off just taking a scrum or going for the post now. It's the only way we get points, but that needs a bit of work and... It does highlight how much we missed Scott Baldwin because we didn't have these conversations last year. It was just no. solid. We were never raving about a lineout or never raving about a scrum. It just, it was just how we played rugby. And now it just it's going wrong. It, it really sort of highlights it a little bit more. And we were really getting behind Jack Walker last week and, and singing his praises. And I still think in the loose he's brilliant and fits the Quinn's mould with a hooker perfectly. Yeah. Uh, and even in the scrum he's he's solid as well. It's just that lineout needs sorting out a little bit and. It's not the fact that he can't do it. It's just inconsistencies. Yeah. We just I think you're absolutely right. I mean, time time again. we didn't really mention it at times last year with guys like Baldwin and, and Matt Simons, you know, the general in that midfield, um, the general in that sort of middle of the pack, I should say, sorry. He, 
he is in, um, Jack Walker has played two 80 minute stints in really, really physical encounters. And you're absolutely right. He fits everything about what we love as a Quinn's hooker, his ability in the loose, he's capable of playing 80 minutes. His dynamism is carrying, you know, Sonny Bill Walker, the offload to Northmore <laughs> last week. Like that is what we love watching. But the reason that we didn't really talk about Baldwin last year was because the set piece just operated so seamlessly. And if we are going to play big ties like Leicester and, Sale, Saris, and even next to who had a big win this weekend. If we are going to beat mm. sides like that, our set piece has to be absolutely on the money. And we are just lacking a little bit of line outs on the minute. And we've got some amazing jumpers. You know, Kenningham gets up in the line out. Steph Levis gets up the line out as your number one option. Dino as well. Yeah, Dino. Dino I mean, I mean, who said, I can't remember who said, someone said this was the other week. One of the boys was like, Dino Lamb is a freak. You know, he's your, he's your tallest, biggest, but he's also one of your most explosive jumpers. So we're not lacking some and power in the line out. Yeah. And athletic, we just need a little bit of you know cohesion in that aspect, and it is frustrating. But those are elements of the game that lose, win or win or lose your game, and it obviously showed in that last minute or so we had a line out on halfway. If we nail that line out, and I think they, again they said it on commentary, I'm sounds like I'm just repeating what they're saying, but it is so true. They had a couple of line outs during the game where they went to compete, and there were a couple of you know reaching in penalties and holding the arm penalties. They wouldn't have gone up for that line out. They couldn't afford to. Yeah. To go up and compete in the lineout, they would have said, "Look, if you're going to go and do it, do it from 50." They were so resolute in defence all day. I'm sure that the way they play and you know the coaching they get, they would have backed themselves to keepers 50, 40. The only way I think we were going to win that game is a penalty going through phase after phase, Agree, after yeah. phase after phase, and against one of the best sides in the league, they wouldn't have given you that chance. They wouldn't have gone up and given you a penalty at the lineout. But to lose given, an uncontested lineout, the to lose an uncontested lineout is unforgivable, really. I don't yeah. think Steph was even looking at him on the back of the head, didn't it? I, I don't know who Walker was supposed to be throwing to, but it didn't go up in the air at all. It was sort of head height all along. Just a total miscommunication. And it's that crucial moment, last minute of a game, you need three points to win. It's what you train for. You, you The coaches make you run shuttle runs, the laps of the pitch, yeah. come back and execute something high-skilled. Here's the yeah. scenario, last play of the game, got to nail your line out and just no communication and poor execution. It was a really disappointing way to lose, but I don't want to focus on that too much because no, it didn't cost us the game. It just cost us no, the chance to win the game, which is yeah. why we're focusing on it. But another moment, which I don't want to crucify the bloke because I'm excited about him and I hope he, he comes good for us. But Hugh Jones, the butcher that three-on-one was oh. criminal. Criminal. He was so greedy, wasn't it? it uh, bless him because you've got your first chance to start with Andre Esterhazen in a huge clash away at the table-topping Tigers. And you you're, you see your name up in lights. You can see the try line. You can see the glory. You Silencing a few doubters. And he just went for it. And you just need that perspective. We were saying if, if you've got Northmore or March in 13 shirt, they're throwing that pass out wide and we're scoring and we're winning the game. And it's a three-on-one that gets executed perfectly. But... Ah, uh, it was gut wrenching, wasn't it? And oh, no. you do feel from it, and he probably is the first one to know. As soon as he didn't get it on the line, oh, I've I've messed that one up big time. I know. He'll come. We, good, we, I hope. We, well, we've been saying it for ages. You know, like the quality of having someone like Hugh Jones off the bench has been mm. a dimension that maybe we haven't had in the last. Well, that's not that's not even that's not even remotely true. It's just the quality of him on the bench is is ridiculous. But I think you're right. He's a different player to Jones and um, to Northmore and Marchant, sorry. If that ball lands in one of their hands, the way that they play, I don't think they, you know, put your head down and try and run through a hole. I think they just go 
zip zip ball's gone and we're going over in the corner it was so tough to watch um but again like we don't want to crucify the bloke for it but just you watch it and you think oh god you've got to give it yeah should we talk about some good things then because i know it's, yeah i know it's a defeat and i know we there was a few moments where we could have won it and in fact, Ugo said it when he was reviewing the game as well. What's so frustrating about it is the fact you can look back on it and pinpoint a few moments where you could have won it. And that's what makes yeah. it a much more tough pill to swallow. Um, but let's talk about the good things because there were some really good things. And yeah. last week we said success is probably taking two points away. The losing bonus point and four tries. Yeah. The losing bonus point. So I, I think that's, if we're being fair to what we were saying last week, we can probably classify this as... as a good result for us taking a point away from Tigers um, our mm. try line defence was phenomenal from the driving mall every time yeah. they went to the corner and they were set up literally five metres out because George Ford's kicking was so good yeah. it looked like they were going to push us over every time and we managed to hold out every single time so huge huge credit to the coaching team and the players for putting in a shift during the week because it paid off there we looked really solid and we looked like a, a title winning defence of the unit so pleased with that um, and it's good to see us fronting up and, and putting Tigers' strength up against them because they didn't really have any other answers for us than that. The try they got was from broken play and, and probably not a typical Tigers try, but yeah, we managed to put them in a box. Do you remember seeing that clip from them against Saracens at the start of the year where they kicked the corner right at the end and they had that yeah. driving ball ends up being a penalty try and Welford Road absolutely erupts? Yeah. Every time, every time for Pinwin in the corner, that's what I had in my head. I was just like, oh no, this is going to... Yeah, the way, I had the that and traditionally, we've been quite soft there. And we even said it to the Tigers podcast last week. I can see whoever plays hooker for you, whether it be Montoya or, or Dolly, they'll probably get a, a, t- a try or two because I can see that being a weakness that gets exploited. So I thought we were incredible there. I was really, really pleased with the lads. I thought they were they were brilliant. Um, another one that I thought was brilliant, I thought Steph had a great game. I thought he, he really led like a captain leads. Um, and his crossfield kick, by the way, at first, I thought I thought it was just a clearing kick, and then you see the replay from the other angle. He spots Green and Liner out there, and he has he, no, 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 no. He spots the space. He does not spot Lewis entire. Oh, maybe he had right. to. He had to execute it. He had to execute it. It lands right in his breadbasket. He slices underneath it, and it lands absolutely perfectly. But I, I, I fair play to him because they again they said on commentary. He does have a look, doesn't he? He does. Sort he does of have a look twice. See the see the see the space in behind. He does. I think he was trying to thump it into the gap and watch him run onto it. I don't think he tried to sort of, you know, spiral bomb it himself no, and land, no, no. It, in, land it in how, Green's breadbasket. But how Quincy can you get though as a, a second row captain? Just a crossfield kick from your own five meter line. That's so Quincy. <laughs> right, right, right in front of your sticks. Yeah, loved it. Um, now's a good time to talk about Lewis Linus try then, right? Yeah. I thought, oh, what a rock star. Like the, the decision making and the skill execution to get that right, get the solitary score that we got was remarkable yeah. so to execute that skill to outpace everybody on that side of the pitch and, and be able to get there and, and make the grounding was brilliant I think he's he's exceptional and like you say a little bit Dan Carter-esque wasn't it he took the scenic route as well didn't he, he had to run about 10 further mm. yards than anyone else because he went round the touch flag to then actually get it and tap it on the boot Um, yeah unbelievable try and you know he started off the season absolutely, you know, firing. Got himself that little look into the England camp. Then, unfortunately, got himself injured. But unbelievable to see him back. He just—he's just a try scorer, isn't he? Like he's a finisher. I mean, we've seen it, you know, towards the end of last year and the two tries he scored in the final. How well he just finishes off chances at the start of this year, and then today was a proper, proper finisher's try. Mm. I mean, we talk. I absolutely love Caden Murley and that little balance of those two on the wing. I mean, they're both excellent defensively. Um, 
Caden today as well, exceptional. Some of the breaks that he made and his, his work rate in defence was was exceptional. But yeah, the try was a real moment of magic for us. I mean, goes round the back of, you know, two or three boys, kicks underneath. And it generally was Dan Carter. I think it, I'm going to gamble here. Somebody might correct me. Wellington in the rain where skims it on the boot. And because it's wet, the sort of spin that was on the ball didn't yeah. quite like grip onto the it was turf. Yeah, it, it did rip, sort of, didn't it? What it a ripper. Sort of, it's just a sort of Ashes tribute. Up. I wonder who's, who's I wonder who he's supporting in the Ashes, by the way. I bet well, obviously his dad's he... gonna be after the Australians, isn't he? I'm hoping he's supporting hope... England. That'd be quite interesting in their household. Maybe we should, maybe we should tweet in this week, Lewis. Yeah, you, I'm keen to find you, out. Do, do you bowl off breaks like Nathan Lyon, or do you <laughs> do you kick sort of outside spinners that bowl out of the arm ball and keep it keep it in touch? But yeah, he's certainly got better hands than Nathan Lyon. <laughs> class headingly yeah. here's my uh, here's something for you then I, this is a little bit of banter between me and you I've been thinking about something for a while because I'm because I'm obviously a teacher I have to look very professional at school as always I keep myself looking smart and neat and tidy and I have I was talking to my mate my mate during the week about having like a little Christmas haircut okay I'm what thinking about I'm thinking about going for the, the lowest liner yeah <laughs> I think you'd suit the, the Jack Kenning a little bit more the Jack Kenningham. Yeah, it's effectively the same as Lewis Liner, but he's got a bit more hair to it. It's not like a... You've got... I'll tell you what, the Quinn's team have got three different degrees of mohawk, haven't they? You think about know, Joe yeah. Marler, the full-on skinhead. Then you've yeah. then got Lewis, it's a bit more of the mullet. Then you've got Kenners, who's got a bit of a hybrid between the two of them, where he's got a little bit more her hair surrounding the mohawk, but it's also a bit of a mullet. It's an odd one, but yeah, I'm not sure you could pull off the liner, mate. I might, I'll send you a WhatsApp during the week. Obviously, it's not quite as long at the back, but it's sort of like long enough and floppy enough on top. I'm just thinking about putting like a little shave in the sides and a bit of a groove in the back and just having like a little three-week number. And then when I have to go back to school, I'll get it cut Do nice it. and short again. Do it. Well, we've got Castro away next week and we are going. So maybe it's a Castro haircut. Potentially. I, I don't maybe think you get it done in Castro. I'll pay for it. I've got school on a Friday, but yeah. <laughs> I'll pay for it. We'll do it having to, having to look, Having to look into that one. I'm trying well, to think I'll do it for you. Business. Well, you would do your own haircuts in lockdown, but I'm not sure I could trust you to stitch them, in, stitch them in the back of it for me. I very much had the Jack Kenningham over lockdown, yeah. Yeah, well, not for me. I, I did ask my housemate, I reckon, reckon like he, I, he could do it for me, but I don't trust him anywhere near my neck with a razor. So <laughs> anyway, we'll move on to uh, some sort of more rugby-based stuff. If we look at the table now, and I'm just trying to sort of get it off my phone here, it's Great. tough. Mm. It is, it's tough. I mean, somebody made a really good point to us, during the last 24 hours or so, we now haven't beaten a side this season in the top five. In the top half. And obviously we've got Northampton in the top half. Uh, no, we haven't. I'm looking at it now. We've not played Gloucester. We've, uh, we've not played... We've got Northampton, Northampton next in the league. So that big game now becomes absolutely enormous, doesn't it? Mm, huge. Like, pro- we- properly, properly big. For sure. We've now lost four of our last six. That's not the credentials of a team who are the champions of England. Let's go make some statements in Europe now. Come back and do a job on Saints in big game. Finish the year comfortably in the top four. And I would see that as a good start to the season, a good first half of the season. But frustrating because, we've, as I say, we've lost four of the last six. We haven't beaten a team in the top half of the table yet. These are all stats and numbers that come the end of the season are totally irrelevant. So as long as we finish the league in the top four, We've got a shot of going back to back. That's the main goal. We're clinging on at the moment. We're in fourth, aren't we? By a point. We've got a game in hand over Exeter. Um, but that means nothing. You've still got to go out and get the results. So, yeah, as you say, big game has got so much more lying on it now because we're playing a side in the top half of the table, also competing for 
for top four and looking bloody good, by the way. They, they put in a real shift at the weekend, sticking 40-odd points on Bath as well. So I know everybody's beating Bath, but still a good performance from them. So, yeah, big game's enormous. We've got a, a job yeah. to do. Let's go make a couple of statements in Europe now. And maybe now's a good time to move on to that because we are doing our first European away day of the season and it's going to be huge. There's a few COVID banana skins along the way that we need to try and dodge and make sure we do all our paperwork and all of our tests and everything but in theory this time next week we will be in the south of France at Castra under the lights watching Quinns in the Champions Cup as we kick off our European campaign so that's exciting in itself and it's going to be a hell of a game great opportunity for us to get some points and and start our, our European competition well what team are you putting out for that how do you see us lining up wow um Are there going to be some changes? You'd think so. Um, I would not be even remotely surprised whether there is going to be someone like Taulani get a start. I reckon there might, because someone like Chisholm's played a lot of games. I think Matt Simons will probably come back in if he's fit. Um, I reckon there will be some changes... I don't know. Will there be some? Ch- I don't know. It's so hard to pick, isn't it? Because I don't really know the comparative strength of a, of a European side like Castra. But I, I, I think there will be a couple of changes in the back row. I think James Chisholm's played a lot of games. I think we 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 need to see Taulani start. So I think he will probably get a run at six. Um, Don Brandt and Marcus, I expect to play. Um, one of obviously Dino or um, Dino or the captain will probably. Either drops the bench or miss out. I think if Matt Simons is going to be fit, I think he's important. Needs to get a little run of games leading up into that busy Christmas period, especially with big game not far, um, not far away. What about you? I'm trying to think now because I'm, I'm not quite sure how that how they'll play. I don't really know the comparative strength of the Castro side, so I'm not quite sure where the changes come if they do come. Yeah, and the top 14 is a tricky league to read as well because it's it's very similar to the Premiership in that you get different teams that seem to show up every year and. And um, just looking at Castro's team, they've also got a couple of ex-Quins in their, their half-backs. Ben Bottica, who we'll remember pretty well from the, the Montpellier Challenge Cup final. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, Erda Paletta as well, who was with us for a little bit. So I think we'll we'll probably try and reflect that ability a little bit. I think Marcus might actually be put on the bench. I think we'll see Europe as an yeah, opportunity maybe. to rotate a little bit. Um, it could be a classic case of... Uh, Premier League sides in cup competitions where they put out a bit of a, an academy side and, and put their superstars on the bench in case it's going wrong. So I think we might see Don Brandt on the bench um, and see and see Lorde start at eight. And I think we might see Smith put on the bench and perhaps Edwards or maybe even Jamie Benson getting a run out. I wouldn't mind seeing Jamie Benson get a go um, if he's got okay. the right people around him. So I think it'll be a bit of a hybrid team. And I'm okay with that, to be honest. It'd be a real shame if we went all the way out to Castro and we put out like a, wow. a third string team just so we can get minutes into people. But I do think we'll have some, some superstars that we can watch in the flesh in the south of France on a Sunday evening. I'm looking at it now. So Castro slap bang in the middle of the top 14 at the middle. They're seventh out of 14. Mm. Um, but they are they are above some big size. They're above Racing. They're above Toulon. Um, That's what I mean, though, because it's so unpredictable. They, yeah. it's not, they're not necessarily the Racing Metro that you're thinking of that came over and pumped us last oh, year. Yeah. They're a totally oh, different Jesus. side. So it's it's tricky. Hard to predict, but I do think we'll, we'll take very, a little Very hard. Bit. There's bound to be some sort of rotations in there, but we'll see. Should be, should be good fun either way. So... 
I reckon let's have a little roundup of other results. So obviously we need to talk about our brilliant women's side. Vicky Cornborough on her 50th appearance. Yeah. Um, Harlequins had a pretty comfortable 69 points to seven win over DMP um, at the stoop under lights. I saw some really, really good social media stuff actually on um, Izzy's social media and Jess Breach's social media about fans in the ground and people taking photos of them with, a, with their young girls. She's amazing. So yeah, that was pretty good to watch. Um, strong side as well. I'm looking looking down at now. Really strong side, yeah. Good to see Burford you know, going back to back in terms of games as well, starting yeah. to rack up the minutes. Yeah, Shauna Brown in there, Rosie Galligan back in there, Emily Robinson, Sarah Beckett as vice captain, Emma Swords, yeah. Emily Scott, Izzy Mayhew on the wing. Well, it's good, Daggy. isn't it? Because we've not, not only have we just won well away at sale, we're we're getting some momentum now. We're we're putting some statement wins out there. We're not content with just one big win away on the road against Sale. We're going to back it up every week now. And I know everybody's turning DMP over, but you've still got to get out in the yeah. field and get the job done. So keep that momentum going. I saw Rachel Burford's Instagram with a, a beautiful picture of the stoop, actually, as the evening was just setting on it and all the lights were still on. And that's a wrap now for Harlequin's women at home this season, apart from that big one across the road at the big stoop against Wasps. So a big end to the year for them. We've seen the, the last of the stoop across both men's and women's side this season now, um, at least in the in the league, because we've got Cardiff at home. Um, yeah. But yeah, big game just gets bigger and bigger, doesn't it? We're gathering loads of momentum our women's side. We've put on two huge performances. We've now got wasps at Twickers. So that one in itself is, is worth getting down to. But when you throw in the fact it's a big double header with yeah. the men's side against Saints as well, that is going to be a huge, huge day out with not just a bit of a party kind of rugby sevens feel to it where it's festive and everyone gets down and has a few beers and has a good time together. No, no, no. There is some serious business to be done on the pitch. So really looking forward to that one now as well. I'm absolutely buzzing for that now as well. Like the double header, obviously they're, they're starting to hit some form now. Um, I'll go. So yeah, they're, they're doing really well. And obviously Wasps have got some quality and it's going to be a real, real fun day down at, down at the, down at the big stoop, isn't it? Obviously we're going to get in the ground early, have lots of beers, hopefully watch them tear it up and then onto the men's afterwards. So hopefully a, a double winning day that weekend, which will be, well, not that weekend, it's another Monday. It's going to be after that festive yeah. period. It's going to be a busy That is a great Monday, period. isn't it? Busy festive. Busy. If Carlsberg yeah, did Monday. Bad Monday. hundred <laughs> percent. If Carlsberg did Mondays. I think um, the day before as well, I'm going to Brighton, Brentford at the Amex with my dad. So I'm going to have a busy day that day on the beers. Should be three points for your no, Brentford drew today and we had a bit of a rough... What did Drew draw one all late? Gasp, a 98-minute winner. Yeah, at, uh, was, wasn't not, it? Yeah, not, like a 98-minute at Southampton. So, yeah, we'll see how that pans out. But, yeah, the festive period is shaping up to be a pretty busy one. Speaking of the festive period, we're very pleased to bring this episode to you in partnership with Short Sweet Bakery. This is run by a Quinns mega fan, Nikki Green. She's local to the area. She's a massive, massive Quinns fan. She's followed the pod stuff for a while. Got in touch with us and said, look, I've got some festive goodies. She's actually sent me a box, dropped them around the other day. So what I have in front of me are some brownies. I've got some double chocolate chip brownies, some salted caramel brownies, and some chocolate orange brownies. Now, they obviously, these are the perfect gift for your Christmas lot. If you've got a sweet tooth, whatever it is. Go on, get now, stuck in. This is going to be as authentic as it is. I, have, I haven't got a massive sweet tooth, personally. I'm a little bit more of a barbecue pork roll man when I'm in the stoop, but... Let's have a thing. I had to literally banish these from my housemates when I got them on Friday because I was hoping, for the sake of them coming in and eat, eating them. But <laughs> I didn't think the podcast would turn out with me watching you eat brownies, but here we are. Wow. It's like some sort of weird fetish, isn't it? <laughs> it's that good, is it? <laughs> there you go, Nikki. There's your next sales strap line. It's like a weird fetish. <laughs> I'll tell you what. That is genuinely decent. Massive little slab of chocolate on top as well. Holy hell. 
Good yeah. stuff. Well, thanks for that. Big thank you to Nikki for for doing this episode in partnership with us. That's definitely progression for the podcast, cool. and we're really pleased to be doing it with the Quinn Super fans. So, thanks again for that one, and, and maybe next time I'll get my hands on some brownies as well. Who knows? He's, he's bitter, Nikki. He's bitter. I hope you can't still hear me masticating at the sound of my brownies. Sorry. <laughs> hear you what? Yeah, exactly. Well done. Go Bloody on. hell, they are good, aren't they? <laughs> anyway, so is that where we're leaving it for this week, mate? Any other business or are we good? We're looking forward to some uh, looking forward to some more rugby in the coming weeks, I reckon. Absolutely, yeah. Huge week for us, mate. Huge yeah. week for us. We've got a, a big travelling group of, of nine of us going up to up to Stansted Airport to get on a plane, fly over to Toulouse, get the train to Castro and then watch the Quins lads do an absolute madness on Castro. <laughs> tear them to pieces. Are you going to get yourself a little streak on the pitch like you did at a Jenna a couple of years ago or is that going to be for cars? <laughs> no, I do the podcast now. I've got, uh, I've got to help myself with <laughs> these kind of things though. But we need to get some breach, trance going. We might breach some um, COVID protocols. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you what, speaking speak of the chance. I've actually got one for Castro as well. We need to get this to catch on. Ready? Oh, hey, oh. London boys in Castra. Oh, hey, oh. We're gonna fucking bash ya. Oh, hey, oh. Quins are going all the way. One, two, three, four. Oh, hey. <laughs> That's where we'll leave it. Thank you so yeah. much for listening. You've been listening to Two Wins Four Quarters, a Harlequins podcast in partnership with Short and Sweet Bakery by Nikki Green. Catch you next week. Come on, the Quins. Yeah, boy, you Quins.